Hello, my name is Scott Bradley and this is Scott Score Podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by former Rangers manager Mark Warburton. We discuss winning promotion with Rangers back to the Premiership, defeating Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-final, what was it like working with James Tavernier, his departure from Rangers and all this and so much more. We kick off the show with Mark telling me how the opportunity to manage Rangers came about. I had, I can't name the names, but I had three really big clubs in England, um, established top clubs, big fan bases, and I'd met the owners. And then because the CV was strong, Scott, they were very, very keen. And, you know, it's not about the money, it's about making the right, right move, but it was, everything was good. And then David Weir said, let's chat to Rangers. You need to chat to Rangers. And now, as a kid growing up, of course, you follow European nights. You used to listen to radio, Scott. Do you remember and listen to European nights? It was unbelievable. Uh, Liverpool and Red Star, Belgrade and Rangers and all these games. Anyway, David Weir said it, but Rangers were obviously in the championship and they were struggling. And all I'd read about was a financial turmoil. That was the obvious, you know, that was dominant in everything at the time. So we we met them in London. Uh, the guys came down, lovely people, had a great conversation um, and I still, you know, very privileged to be sitting there. Imagine yourself, Scott, you're sitting there with three big English clubs and a and a huge Rangers institution there. And it was my son who uh I might have you might have heard this story. My son came up to me, son played football, pro, etc. He came up to me and he put on a YouTube clip of Penny Arcade in the old firm game, three two. He said, and he played it, it's eight minutes long. And he said to me, he just he went in a nice way, he said, Dad, shut up and listen to this and say nothing for eight minutes. And he put it on the loudspeaker, Scott, that was it. And he had the green end, obviously, with the away fans and then the, the, the three sides and the build-up and simply the bet. And Harry said, you cannot turn down that club. And he was right, Scott. The moment I saw that video, Davy Weir, of course, Frank, but the moment you see that, you realise what a club this is. Um, that was it. That was done. And uh, the previous season, obviously, Rangers failed to get promotion. And in the summer, they released a lot of players would you say this project for a, like, a total rebuild was perfect for you at this stage in your career? Yeah, it was. But don't forget, day one, Scott, we walked in with nine players. I think the chairman, you might correct me, one or two, I think he let 13 players go. Um, we walked into nine. And I remember walking around the side of the pitch at uh, Ockenhowie and coming around. And I said, David, look, let's get, we've got two goalkeepers, nine outfield players. Let's get one more player. We'll, have, we'll get them going, keep them nice and bright, have a look at them, introduce ourselves, and we'll have a 5v5, which players love at the end just to get them going. And the one boy we asked to come up, or one boy was sent up, was Barry Mackay, because I think the youth team had a game, and Barry had been out on loan. And David, we looked at each other, and maybe 10 minutes into the session, Scott, and went, How is he not in the first team? It was, magnificent so that was it you know that that things happened for a reason and we had Barry Mackay come in it was a rebuild we knew we knew it was a complete rebuild but funds were really tight and this is the thing that still narks and and, and irks you Scott is that the obvious long-term plan was to get to Celtic beat go by Celtic win the title and get back in the Champions League that's a long-term goal but it all comes down to finance and you have to have the financial backing and I remember we literally, I was in, I went to Prague for my pro license final bit. Um, and I was trying to get a, a player. I can't, I won't say who and divulge information. And we were 50, we were, we were 50 quid a week light of getting this player. Wow. Right? And that's, I said that to you, I swear my life, we were 50 quid a week light to get this player. And it wasn't a lot of money. And in the end, I had to say that I'll pay the money. If it means we get him, I'll, and in the end, we got it done. So my point is, at the time, Rangers still had the financial 
stranglehold around them that you know and is so well documented. So when people say, why didn't you do this and sign this? And we signed, you know, people and Don Ball loan, cheap, cheap, cheap loan from Tottenham, Zellalem, Gudian, cheap, cheap loan from Arsenal. We signed and, uh, Jason Holt, 60 grand, Andy Halliday, three, uh, Tav, 200, uh, Waggy, 80 grand or so, whatever it was. Uh, Wes Fodringham, three. Rob Keenan was 100 grand. He was going to Birmingham. We, we literally kidnapped him from a medical at Birmingham. So all of these players, we had to get in centre-halves, um, goalkeeper, uh, full-backs, midfield, and we'd, we'd, we'd be doing it against a backdrop, Scott, of, of little to no money. And, and they're saying, well, you know, we've got to beat Celtic and we'll jump forward, I'm sure, to your questions later on about cup finals and our semi-finals. But the, the disparity between Rangers and Celtic then was just so wide. And yeah, I want to ask you about James Tavenier. Uh, what's your thoughts on Tav? And did you always believe he'd be going to reach the level that he did? No, I'd be lying if I told you that, Scott, because everyone, anyone who tells you that I knew would do this is talking at the back of whatever they're talking out of, Scott, because you know he's an athlete. You know he's a good lad. You know he's a very strong technical player. You've got a great match record, appearance record. So he's a fit boy, etc. And we bought him for the reason that he was going to bring energy and dynamism and quality on that right flank. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't have bought him. Could I sit here and look you in the eye and say, well, you knew he'd be captain and 400 odd appearances and legendary Hall of Fame? Who, who, who would say that? But I can't speak highly enough about James Tavernier, Scott, in terms of not only his playing ability, not only is his is availability in terms of fitness, but just as a character. What a lad, what a, what a gentleman. And what I'm so pleased about is, A, well, I, would there, I was there, he was learning off of the likes of Kenny and Lee Wallace. He would sit with Lee Wallace. He would learn off of the, the mighty John Gregg when he would come in and speak. And, you know, Tav would, would take things in, learn from David Weir, hopefully learned a little bit from himself. But he would take things on board. And you saw a man who genuinely took pride in playing for the club, which for me is what you want. When you play for someone like Rangers, you've got to take pride in what you do. And Tav, he absolutely embodies that, Scott. So delighted for him. Hopefully he's got many, many more games left for Rangers and many more trophies. But, you know, what a what a magnificent player he's turned out to be for the club. And see, also during your time at Rangers, did you see signs in maybe in the future like, I think he could potentially be a Rangers captain. Did you ever see any of that? Like those kind of characteristics? Well, at the time, obviously we had people like Lee Wallace, you know, again, what a, what a character, what a player, Kenny. Um, and then we're looking at what's coming through. And, you know, you look at various people in the team, the likes of Andy Halliday, who bleeds blue and white, you know, he's just Rangers through and through. Yeah, people like that. Yeah, people like Don Ball, who would have, would have walked to Glasgow to make that move permanent. Um but Tav, yeah, Tav was just available. Waggy, you know, again, Martin Waghorn and the goals, 38 goals in that first year, I think he scored, Scott. So we had players there who were growing into, I keep hearing about the weight of the jersey. I'm not having that. It's a privilege. It's not weight. It's a privilege to wear the jersey. But I, we, you saw players growing into um, into their responsibilities, understanding what it meant to wear the jersey. And I think, you know, Tav was certainly one of those. The fact that he's come on in the way he has, who could have predicted it? But just delighted that it's been the case. Because obviously, as like as you said before, like you always knew Rangers were a big club, but when did it really hit home? Obviously, being in the Glasgow uh, fishbowl, when did it really hit home? Okay, <laughs> this is something special here. This is something big. Uh, there's all the little signs. I'm saying little. I don't mean little, but you know what I mean. So the media interest. You know, when you're introduced to the press, and there's eighty odd media there, and it's just it, it's nuts. You know, in, in terms of the intensity, great learning curve, steep learning curve. 
you know, your first game hips away when we had the great Rangers following and a good result and the reaction. The the first time you really, really, for me, really understood the level of intensity was 28th December, I think it was, Hibs at home. Yeah, that was a game changer of that season, yeah. That was a game That was a game changer in terms of we started off really well. I think one eleven, we started off really well and a couple of faltering little bits. And then we had Hibs at home. And I think it was Jason Cummings scored first to, to quieten it. And but in the tunnel before the game, Scott, in answer to your question, um, I remember the noise. I've never felt the noise and intensity come down the tunnel like it was for that game. I, can't, I kid you not. I've been very privileged to be in some big, big games and big clubs, but the noise coming and Tab looked at me. I remember that. And it was like hair in the back of your neck moment. And then when Holty scored, Holty scored a couple of goals. I think the roof, you've been in some big games at Ibox. You've been there again for many years, Scott. When that, when he, when Holty scored, wow, I never felt. And that's when you know uh, what Rangers is about. And as I say, Waggy finished it off and it was a great result. And we went on to win the league by 11, 12 points or something. But that was that was the game changer. But that's when you know what a club. This is more. It's an institution now. And when you when you experience that, all you want is more of it, Scott. Yeah, and the, the football you played that season, Mark, was a joy to watch. It was very attractive, possession based style. Would you say that's the way you always want to set up a team, no matter who uh, you're, you're managing? Yeah, it is. And as you get older, this is the madness of football. Scott, I read a book. Viali has a great. I don't know how many books Gianluca wrote. But he wrote a book and he, he wrote about in Italy, when a manager is sacked, um, you're immediately hired almost because you're wiser than when you get into the job. So I, when I went into Brentford, I'd come through a youth system and I'd always wanted to play the game. I'd always wanted to make sure the boys enjoyed training and played the game in a way that they enjoy going to work. So when I when I was jumping around a little bit, Scott, but when I was in the city, the best boss I ever worked for spoke to me about making an environment that the, you enjoyed coming to work to trade. Now, we were dealing massive amounts of money, huge pressure apparently, but loved it. We you know, loved coming into work every day and the intensity and the teamwork and mad hours, but loved it. Now, when I went into football and I was playing with the youth team at Watford, we had a really good youth team. Rob Keenan was in that youth team. People like Lee Hodgson, we had a number of boys who were going to lead, lead careers and we were a really small academy. And I thought, and you could see that it worked. And then when we went to Brentford, I'm coaching the boys, same thing again. So I thought to myself, you know, you've got to be on the front foot. You've got to be brave. And I was always told, again, City lesson, pain over pleasure. So people always, always avoid the pain for the, for the pleasure, et cetera. And you're thinking that, well, well if, you know, we, I'll give you an example. We played Brentford. Brentford played, I think it was Ipswich away. And Mick McCarthy's teams are magnificent and solid. And they had like Tyrone Mings and Chambers and Murphy, big giants. One all great game at Portman Road, and in the last two minutes they get a corner, right? Land of the Giants, and we're the land of the Hobbits. We had like Pritchard and Judge and Hotter, and so we left four up for the corner. And pain over pleasure, I've, I, I, I can see it now. Tyrone Mings calling back Chambers and Murphy to mark five against four. So we took all their big guns back. The game ended one all. We had a great thing, but that for me was a real learning point where you say people a fear of failure is greater than that desire for pleasure. So if you remember that first year, we would leave Mackay or Dean Shields or Nicky Law really high and wide, and they immediately brought people back, and and you can dictate a little bit. So I like that idea. 
In answer to your question, did you then go through, through Nottingham Forest when you had different players, different situations, QPR, smaller budgets, but you've got to find a way to win and, and everything. And then West Ham last year, it's understanding that it's it's uh, front foot style, Scott. Don't lose it like you said about Andrew at the start. We were chatting about Don't lose your style in terms of what you want to do, but you've got to be solid. You've got to be compact. You've got to be resilient. So as a manager... You grow and you mature. But I love the fact that you said to me, I love watching the team play that first year. And that's it. As supporters, we're in the entertainment industry. If you don't enjoy watching the team play, I shouldn't be in a job. And you mentioned a lot about uh, Barry McKay there. I feel as though you were instrumental in his development because he was fantastic that season. And obviously under Pedro Cassini, I don't know what happened there. But I feel as though it was a real shame when Barry McKay left because he, I think, see, when you look at um, under Clamont and even Steven Gerrard, I think Barry McKay would thrive playing under those two managers. But yeah, I think uh, you deserve a lot of credit for really bringing Barry McKay on to a good, a good game. No, he did. He was great, Barry. You know, really skillful. He reminded me, you know, as a kid growing up, the little Scottish wingers that you could speak about. And there's so many of them. You go back to Eddie Gray and Jimmy Johnson, all these various Scottish players coming through. But the fact was, Barry had that ability. He had magic in his feet. He was quick. He was sharp. He could go both ways. And I just think Barry's one, there's one thing I was critical of Barry, is he had more belief in how good he could be. You know, and that's that was the only thing. But delighted to see him. You know, still doing well. He's injured at the moment, but he's a, he's a really, really talented boy, Scott. I have no doubt about that. And then, what was it like working with Lee Wallace? Because Lee Wallace, um, I was delighted when you gave him the, the armband. And I've, I think uh, Lee Wallace is a fantastic servant for Rangers. And I think in terms of leadership qualities, I think having Tavernier are similar. Where they're they're not like a shouting and baller, but they lead by example. The top professionals, where if things aren't going well in a game, they don't hide. They always want the ball and trying to make something happen. But what was it like working with Lee Wallace? No, again, the fact that I took the QPR, Scott tells you what I think of Lee Wallace. Um, magnificent, magnificent uh, player, uh, a student of the game. So very similar on the pitch to Tav, as you rightly said, the points you highlighted. Off the pitch, Tav is more, you know flamboyant and, and and Lee was a family man you know I think five kids now but four at the time and you know he 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 was a very much a domesticated man but his passion for Rangers was so evident and he would come and talk and to have him Nico Crenshaw another student Kenny Miller another student you know Clint Hill when he came in when he did analysis you had to be on your toes because you had boys there who were going to ask you questions and demand answers and they were they played football at the highest level. You know, I remember Lee when I was there. Do you remember Lee went down and played with Scotland against England at Wembley? Yes. I think he got man, he got man the match and he yeah. was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I remember reading the reports in the media before the game that he was going to get chewed alive. I can't remember who, who the winger was. It might have been town. I can't remember who it was. But either way, all I know is Lee was superb. And he got a really talented player. And what happened for Lee, I felt so sorry because he is Rangers through and through. And he, you know, he's, he he thrived on the responsibility. He loved the privilege of being captain of Rangers, and he's an absolute gentleman. I only hope very much that he goes on to to manage a manager club in the future. The April that season, Mark, was a very special one for yourself and the club. You guided Rangers back to the top flight, won the Petrified Cup, and beat Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi final. But before we speak about the Celtic game, what was that moment like after winning the championship? Yeah, it was. It was. I'm saying, job done. It, it, that sounds arrogant. So I'm not, it, the board were really clear, Scott. It was non-negotiable promotion. Yeah. That was non-negotiable. We took on the job on, on that understanding. So therefore, to get it done by you know eleven points, to get the job done early, uh, was really really pleasing because we you know you know what it means. You said before what the Goldfish Bowl of Glasgow. 
But what it means to so many people was obvious. You know, David Weir, Jim Stewart, Rangers people through and through. Dave Lavery, who's still there now, magnificent, you know, people. Jimmy Bell at the time, obviously, sadly passed. But all of these people, to see what it meant to get Rangers back to top flight after where they'd been, um, that was a that was a really, really pleasing and proud moment. But uh, you're always thinking at Rangers because you have to, Scott. You can't you can't stop, otherwise you'd fall behind. Simple as that. And I need to ask you this. What did you make of the, the, the Magic Hat song? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> and was the, son, the son loved it. He was singing it. And then, of course, I, went, I remember coming back here and uh, I came home and it was a mate's birthday. And I hadn't seen him for ages, obviously, being up in Scotland. And I walked into the local pub around the corner here and had four, four or five of them had those stupid little traffic cones stuck on their head and never seen it. So, yeah, it was just it was just a great banter and, and good fun from the fans. But, yeah, and again, it, it, you'd rather that than have the derogatory advisory songs being sung about you. You know, let's be honest. Yeah, There's exactly. managers and coaches who've had, have had some tough times. So whenever fans are singing in a positive way, you have to take it and enjoy it. And the semi-final against Celtic, how did it feel knowing the fact that Rangers were favourites going into the game? Which, like, obviously Celtic were going through, even though they're top league, won the league and all that stuff, but Ronnie Dial was getting it really tight in the press. And obviously, the media, like, I think I remember watching that interview with you a wee while ago, and you were talking about who's like the flavour of the month. And back that, during that spell, you were like the Scottish media's uh, yeah. favourite guy of the month, and Ronnie Dial was getting it pretty tight. But um, how did that feel knowing the fact that Rangers were favourites going into it? I can't see I, I, at the time, Scott. If you remember my comments, I could they just won the SPFL title? Yeah, how I remember. We favorites, we were a league below. How can we be? How can we be favorites? So that was nonsensical. Um, uh, the the bit about Ronnie myself, I got told this is the old story. But first day in Glasgow, land the airport, good cop, bad cop. Mark, you'll be the good cop. Whatever you do, you'll be good. Whatever he does, will be bad. And I and I, I've said it before. And I got slammed by a couple of Rangers fans telling me that I, you know you should never be complimentary about Celtic. What I said was the treatment of Ronnie Dyler was was appalling. It was outrageous. And I'll say that for any manager, because it can be me next season, or it could be Stephen or Brendan or you know, whoever it is, they that would never ever be tolerated down south. And uh the treatment of Ronnie Dyler was was beyond shocking. But going into the game, I knew the boys were ready. We knew the boys were ready. And you look, you're facing the opponents, Scott. Look, you've you've watched them enough times that they've got a team packed of internationals and we've got young loanees and new guys and who'd played an old firm game, uh, Lee and Kenny. That was it, basically. So it was a completely young team, but on the day I felt we deserved to win. It was a great game for the fans, but I was I was appalled, I've got to be honest, by the treatment of Ronnie Dyler because as a manager or coach, you know that it, that needle can swing very easy towards your direction. And what was the game plan going into the semi-final? And I, 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 obviously I was there, right? But see, when I think it was Roberts that missed that uh, sitter, at yeah. that moment, I remember I said to my pal, I was like, this is going to be Rangers Day. So see, when that happened, did you have the same like mindset of, okay, I think this could be our day here? Because that was like, because Patrick Roberts, brilliant player, when he missed that, I was like, wow, I was shocked. But would yeah. Say, yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, a lot of things really. I mean, the miss, obviously. And, and that's what I've said, when I try to put a level perspective on it, Nine times out of ten, Celtic will win that game because they've got a team packed with internationals and a budget which would have blown ours out of the water. And I'm not talking double or treble or quadruple. It's more than that. You know, I remember saying to journalists at the time, our midfield that day was Ball, Holt and Halliday. And their combined salary wouldn't be half of one of their opponents in midfield. So let's put it, you know, let's get it right. Patrick missed it and most times he would have scored. But what we wanted to do we was the psychology-wise... We felt they might think they were going to dominate possession. 
being the SPFL champions. They, they, we felt they might think that we were going into the game, try and damage limitation, not be hurt. And we wanted to be the opposite. We wanted to get on the ball. We wanted to play. And I think the first 10 minutes, Scott, we were really straight away. We, we put a, a fingerprint on the game and, you know, we showed no fear whatsoever, which was delight for the players. Um, and I remember Rob Keenan was excellent. Don Ball was excellent. We were, we were really good that day. And and for me, it was the game plan was to make sure we don't come off that pitch with any regrets. You know, having the likes of David Weir, Jim Stewart, Frank, with their experience was magnificent. But come off that pitch with no regrets. And I, I don't think to a man, one player had any regrets at all that day. And uh, obviously it goes to penalties. Um, I've never seen anything like it. That was just, it was so intense. It was so intense, so it was. But when uh, Rogic, uh, Tom Rogic uh, skies a penalty um, over the bar, you win your first Old Firm game in charge as manager. That must have been one of the uh, your favourite highlights of your career. It, it absolutely. Of course, it is. the immediate reaction is is one of relief because of what it means. You know, and you saw my reaction with Davey and, and Jim because I know what it meant to them. Then if you look at the, the footage, everyone's running around. And I remember for about 10 seconds, it felt like about 10 minutes, Scott, looking at Ronnie. And he came up and I knew what he was about to go through. And I don't want to sound like some antiquated dinosaur. but And you know he's going to go through a torrid time now. So I had a quick chat with him. And then, of course, you see what it means to so many. And and I'm always, uh, I got, I got criticised a little bit for not showing more emotion on the day. But when I see people thumping the badge and, and all this and kissing the badge, I'm thinking, we haven't won anything yet. You know, we've got promotion, but the Rangers fans are used to success. Well, now my psyche might be completely wrong, Scott. You might tell me that's nonsense. But my psyche has always been, well, if you win the league title and you win the cup, and then you can stand in front of the Rangers fans and you can run around and, and give it all of this. And I, I see a lot of managers three games into a, a, you know, a, a particular club, they join it and they're suddenly running around and holding hands and kissing the badge and, and not being rude to other people. I don't, I don't, I think you've got to earn that. That's my own, you know, maybe that's maybe a bit more insular, but I think you've got to earn that. And the Rangers fans have had enough success to know Walter Smith and these people, you know, top, top people. They don't want some guy coming up from London, running around, kissing the badge when he's been here two minutes. You've got to earn that respect. Uh, and that was it. So I loved the moment, loved it for the fans, you know, loved it for the players and the staff, family, and everyone else. Magnificent day. So delighted. Two things. One, keep it a little bit level. And two, I had a realisation that evening that the expectation was going to go through the through the roof. And I think I phoned David or Frank that night and said, we've got a real issue now because suddenly every Rangers fan is singing 55 and we're going up and wow, then we had, then we had problems. And then obviously the final didn't go Rangers way. And I would say it kind of fell, fell apart in the last 20 minutes or so of the game. Looking back at the final, is there anything that you would have done differently? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one we had, if you look at the squad, we couldn't name a full bench, Scott, because we had players out on loan. I couldn't put in the likes of, of Tom and Ryan Hardy and doing great at Plymouth now, but we couldn't put those boys on. They've been out on loan. And we were really short with injuries, couldn't quite make it. And we and Andy Halliday scored that screamer, didn't he? And I was right behind it in front of the Rangers fans. And I thought, 2-1, you know, we've been poor today. Compared to the final, we've been so poor. Let's get this game done 2-1. And then we had two corners, two set pieces and shocking. You know, we should have done so much better. And you look at it and go, well, hindsight's a marvellous thing. Do you put on a load of defenders and try and shore it up? And But then you're giving away the ball more. So... 
listen, and the, fair play to Hibs, they won it on the day, but 2-1 up with 10 to go, you've got to make sure you see that game out and win the trophy for, for Rangers. So that'll always be a massive bugbear. I've got a few trophies and stuff over there. And I look at the, the runners-up medal and it, it's galling to watch it. And obviously, I don't want to like make excuses or anything, but one thing I thought was really evident on the day that see the Rangers players, they look, the match sharpness wasn't there. Like yeah. I, thought, I noticed that that was really evident. And obviously, Hibs previously, I think they had um, like two, they played like two games in the playoff or so. And obviously, Rangers uh, had like two or three weeks off. And I, I think I remember you saying that obviously the season was still going on for other teams. You were struggling to get like some friendly sorted. Yeah, Scott, it's a great point. I'm so glad you said it. Because if I say it, it sounds like an excuse. We literally had three weeks. Now, what do you do? Do you give them a week off and then try and have a mini pre-season to get them back? Do you give them, do you have a couple of days training? What do you do? I there's no right, there's no wrong. So in the end, a good friend of mine, John McDermott, who's now the FA Technical Director, was Academy Director at Tottenham. We had the phone up and we he put together an under-23 squad for us at Tottenham. And we had a, you know, we had a good game. The boys came out, beautiful training ground, beautiful pitch, but we couldn't get a game. And, and as you rightly say, the opponents are playing playoff games and they're match sharp. And we didn't know. And that's probably one of the biggest learning curves was, I still don't know. And speaking to people at West Ham, when we had the Europa Conference final, you know, we went to Portugal for three days and some time off and they're all saying, what's right? So with all the sports science that goes on in the game, Scott, what do you do with three weeks? It, it's too long. You know, it been 10 days give them two or three days off, get them back nice and sharp, friendly fixture against your B team or something, and you're ready for the final. Three weeks was too long. So, yeah, I'm glad you said that. We did. We were nowhere near as sharp as the final. The players looked leggy. They looked tired. Someone said they were ready for the beach. Utter ball. They were ready for the cup final, but they were just, circumstances were what they were. And uh, your first season in charge, uh, obviously, wasn't an ideal uh, ending, but overall, I would say it was a success because you set to achieve what we were asked to do and get promotion and get Rangers back to the Premiership. And as I was saying to you earlier on, you played it, you played some very attractive football and you've done it in very comfortable fashion. Yeah, I think you know, not you've got to be careful what you say because it comes across wrong, Scott. But we got promotion by double figures points. The Petrofact, they said it's only a Petrofact Cup, but it's a you're in a trophy and you've got to go and win it, which was a great day. It was a completely blue stadium, which was fantastic. We've beaten Celtic in the semi-final. We've beaten Dundee on the way. Was it 4-0? I no, think I that at home and Harry Forrester and Lee Wallace gliding through. And so we've beaten Premier League teams and the biggest rivals, Celtic, to get to the cup final, which, you know, and someone said to me, do you think it's been an okay season? And I'm like, well, wow. Yeah, I do. If it's a score report, we've had a, we've had a really good year. But as I say, it never took away. It was finishing late. We were starting early the next year, next season. And and it was he, always his expectation was building because I knew what was going to come, Scott. And the summer window comes around and you bring in 12 signings. And correct me uh, uh, if I'm wrong here, um, you, you brought in 10 free agents. Is that correct? Yeah, they're all, they're everyone's saying to me, look at the money they're spending. They're all free. You know, like someone said, I read the report and it killed me at the time. Nico Cranchar. I think it was, uh, I know I know who the comments, I know who the ex-Celtic player was who, who made the comment. Um, Nico Cranchart, you expect more for 25 grand a week. Where do these figures come from? Scott? I've never divided that number by X amount and still nowhere near it. He was a free transfer playing in New York. You know, Clint Hill, if we could afford Clint Hill five years younger, magnificent. We could never got near Clint Hill. What a, what a player, what a defender. You know, you look at these players, you could never get near them in their prime. Um, obviously it's going to come around to Joey Barton obviously but did we do our research yes we did we did our research we asked everyone Sean Dyche is a close friend Ian Wone 
championship team of the year, did everything we could. But you can't, they can't all go right. Simple as that. So lots of fee transfers uh, because money was still very, very tight. And, and people make a lot of it, oh, the budget was huge. We were still a fraction of Celtics. Um, and the KPIs that, that year, the KPIs were set for the following year. Year three, we must have European football. That was non-negotiable. And this is the start of year two, Scott. So Davey and I both looked at each other. If we can't get in Europe in year three, we don't deserve to be at Ibox. So that was that was not that was not a problem. But clearly that that didn't that didn't didn't evolve when Celtic had their best ever year and when we paid the price for that, I think. So do you feel as though you were backed enough by the board in your second season? No, I think you look at the signings, you know, it was a difficult one. Um as a manager, you learn. I've always gone young. You know, you look at like Tarkowski and, and Jota and these these boys, you look at QPR and you're bringing young players in, supplemented by one or two old wise wise heads. You know, we had Forshaw and, and Stewie Dallas who leads in Premier League, but they were young at Brentford, but you supplemented them with the likes of Johnny Douglas, who was outstanding. So, you know, did we deviate? I kept listening to everyone telling me that, you know, Celtic, 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 and they had Scott Brown and they had, you know, all the various players. And you're sitting there going, do we need some experience here? We need some we need some men up against them. In hindsight, marvellous thing, hindsight, Scott, in hindsight, should I maybe start more to going young? Could I maybe use a loan market a little bit better down south and got some talented boys up, possibly? But I was always trying to think of that expectation uh, and what we do. So, yeah, you you learn. But I, I just felt we were still fighting the financial. And you know yourself, the headlines were all about Ashley and money and finance and everything else and the chairman, what he had to do. So we were never in a position to go and get what we really wanted. We were in a position to go and get what we could afford to go and get. Yeah, no, like a lot of Rangers fans think this as well, where you like I believe this as well, you, you were not back at all in your second season. I, like, I was baffled by it because we're back in the premiership and then... I thought uh, the board would really go out and, okay, like, let's get behind Warburton now. But then, obviously, the following season, Pedro Cassini gets given £10 million. And like, a lot of people are scratching their heads, like, how? Like, doesn't make, it just didn't make sense to me at all, Mark. No, it's not appreciate it. I've got to be, I'm not saying to be careful. I'm always respectful of what I say, but that always amazes us. And we talk about that, and we have spoken about that a lot, that why, where does the eight, nine, ten million suddenly appear from? You know, and a number of players, non-British players, not that that's a bad thing, but there's a market you could have tapped into. Um, and you the only way you're going to close that gap to Celtic, Scott, and that was all we had to do. There's only one team you focus on is Celtic. Make sure you're better than them and you beat them. And the only way you're going to do that is to close a financial disparity. And I was delighted, you know, enormous respect for Stephen, obviously as a player and a person, but delighted that the board backed him. And when you backed a manager at Rangers and give him a chance to level playing field, then you saw what happened. You know, so I just think for me, we were we were frustrated, shall we say, second year. And obviously the way they dealt with it, it was 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 beyond frustrating. The Josh Windass, who obviously you signed um, at Rangers, he'd done an interview, I think it was like two or three years ago, and he believes that if, if the board really did back you, Rangers could have won 55 a lot sooner. Yeah, and I'm, it's easy for me to sit here and talk to you, and I don't want to attract any criticism from fans who are saying it's a casual statement. In the staff we had, with people like David Weir and Frank and Jim Stewart and Dave Lavery and Craig Vanigan, staff we had, and you look at it and go, yeah, I had no doubts. I had no doubts. Listen, we were on the right track. The Joey situation that happens in football happens everywhere, but obviously it's, it's magnified at a club like Rangers. But I was, I felt really confident we were moving in the right direction. Um, and, and I had no doubts about that at all. And that's why when the 
when the sacking came, it was completely out of the blue because we sit there, we had a cup game the following day, happy with the squad, we had trained well. And I thought, well, you know what, we had a few targets and whatever else. And then that came out of the blue. And you realise then that in terms of business KPIs, Scott, in terms of targets and goals, and that goes out the window because of the emotion of the old firm. That's why, you know, every board member at the other side of Glasgow, every board member at Ibox are passionate, passionate Rangers fans. And, and Brendan Rodgers and Celtic had the best year in their history. You know, the best year in their history. So our target was European football the following year. So, yes, frustration, anger, uh, bitterness, because the job wasn't finished. It was nowhere near finished. And I'd love to think we could have gone on to, to do what, you know, the fans wanted us to do. And obviously the 5-1 uh, game against uh, Celtic happens. Do you believe if Steve Senderos never got sent off, do you think um, you, you could have got something out of that game? Because I feel as though that did change completely. Because I think ah, when the red card happens, and it's just kind of went downhill after that. Billy Pete was the first one to apologise. Scott, he knows it's a, it's a ridiculous challenge. Now, it was they started off really well. Then Bele scores. We get the goal back before half-time. Gone, I think it was, and it's 2-1. And then if you remember after halftime, we started really well. And Barry Mackay puts that effort, hits just the outside of the post. So as you look at the pitch, whichever end you want to call it to the right towards the Rangers fans, he just clipped the outside of the bottom of the post to go to all. And we were in a good position. Then they get the goal. And you look at it. Send us, Philippe did what he did. Listen, I spoke to Philippe. He's a technical director now in Europe. We played at West Ham and good guy, lovely guy. But that was a moment of madness. And then also, if you remember, Rob Keenan with his hamstring, we were down to nine men and their back line was Lee Wallace, Jerry Barton, Tav at the end of the game. And it becomes 5-1. Now, when we were, when we were, when we were three, one down, we were still on the front foot and we had Harry Forrester on the bench and Clint wasn't ready. So you think, well, three, one, we're still playing well. If we nick summit here now, go three, two with 15 to go, this place will go quiet and the Rangers fans will get upbeat and we might have a chance of nicking summit here. That was a mindset in a nutshell. And then when you lose 5-1, they go, yeah, all the experts come out. You should have put on defenders and, and kept it limit to 3-1. You would have been all right. You're losing 3-1, Scott. So, you know, rightly or wrongly, that, that's the that's the positive mindset. But it was a reckless challenge down to nine men. And, and that was a really bit of pill to swallow. And, and as you rightly say, it was a game changer because it highlighted the gulf between the two clubs. It highlighted, they were signing Dembele on, on money we couldn't, I think 30, 35 or whatever, dwarfed anything in our squad you know the players they were signing so it was out of our league and the, and the gap was still there and it hurts you know you're a Rangers fan I'll always have Rangers in my blood it hurts to say it but at the time financially we just couldn't match them and then a couple of days after the game there's a incident an incident with uh, Joey Barton in training where he was suspended and shortly after uh, he left the club can I ask what was the was the Joey Barton uh, signing your call and what was it like working with Joey Barton and looking back at that situation would you have like would you do anything different? Yeah, hindsight. You look back at it, I wouldn't have signed Joey Barton. Um, but have no doubt, he's a very clever guy, very intelligent man. We met a few times. We had some really good conversations about football, um, done the re research. You know, Davey, Frank, myself, we all done our research. Everyone spoke so highly of him. Um, down to the job he did at Burnley. When they got promoted. Fantastic, Scott. So, and, and he is a guy that I thought was going to be the Scott Brown. Of, of Rangers in terms of sitting in front of the midfield, being that being that ball winner, footballer, technical passer who would give us that real base to play from. That was the idea, you know, and that's what he did for Burnley, and he got promotion. and 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 
fairly logical, I think. But there's no doubt that the Joey S and Demons as well in, in my mind. And uh, I'm not going to speak derogatory of him in, in any way, but it didn't work out, Scott. Simple as that. And that particular incident was was wrong. We had to react because it's always about the team. It's never about an individual. It's always about the team, the club. And we had to do it. The only frustration was you get the press, the same people in the press saying, why is he saying, why is Warburton saying nothing? It was a legal case. So we couldn't, you're not allowed to say anything, Scott. So that's where the Scottish media can be quite ruthless because they know full well we can't say anything, yet they ram the point home anyway. And the January comes around and I remember the night when it happened, I was uh, at the pub and I got a text saying, Mark Warburton has just left the club. And I was like, no, no chance. What's going here? Going on here, right? So a lot of Rangers fans were confused, right? So, like, can you clear the situation up? What actually happened? Because I, I, there's stories saying that you got sat and there's other stuff saying that you resigned. It was like, it was, I was so confused by it. And a lot of other people but, were like, so uh, what actually happened? Ah, <laughs> uh, listen, I appreciate the question. And as, I've never said anything. I never will ever say anything derogatory about the club. You know that. Um, I was lying on my sofa. Watching a game, it was five to nine. I'll never forget this. It's, it's burned on my brain. And my phone started jumping a little bit. And I got an email from Stuart saying, please check your email. It's it's a minute to nine on a Friday night, right before a game. So I'm literally going to watch a bit of the news, watch a little, do a bit of paperwork, go to bed. And then I look over and I'm purely by chance I'm on Sky Sports. And on the yellow ticker tape, I see Mark Warburton resigns from Rangers. And it's, a, you know, a double take. Literally, I'm looking, going, and my phone's now jumping. So I phoned Davey Weir. I said, I think I've just been sacked. And I'm, but I'm looking at, I'm, I'm looking, I'm talking to Davey, and the TV's over here. I'm talking like this, and Davey Weir said, So have I. I said, What do you mean? And I look up, Davey Weir resigns from Rangers. I said, This is, what's going on? So, of course, you try and phone powers at B, no one picks your calls up. Um, agent calls up, what's going on? I said, I've no idea. I said, apparently I've resigned. I said, I've no idea what you're talking about. So in a nutshell, absolutely not. We were sacked from Rangers. We would never, ever walk away from a club like Rangers, ever. Um, so that that was a frustration, Scott, that the people suggested we had, we had resigned. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It was handled appallingly at the time. Um, you would never walk away from a club like Rangers. And we had to deal with it. And then you get all the media saying, well, sue the club. Well, first of all, one, you don't want to get embroiled in a in a court case because you can't you can't work while this case is no one's going to touch you while it's going on. Different legal laws about English lawyers in Scottish courts compared to the other way around, etc. And you're going to go down that legal route to try and win some money, but your reputation could be in tatters because you've gone legal. So everyone said, Oh, he must be guilty, he must have resigned because he's not he's not going down the legal route. What do you win by the legal route? You know, as I say, would we have won the case? Absolutely. I, I, I said to someone at the time, if the club could show Davey or I a phone call, an email, a letter, anything at all to suggest that we had resigned, then I will absolutely pay all your legal costs. And there was nothing, Scott, because we never did. So just a great shame that, uh, you know, we thought it was a really good relationship halfway into working it. To end in that way was was very painful, very bitter. And I, I just felt it was unnecessary because it was purely because of Celtic unbeaten form. Um, but as I say, never no, at the end of the day, it's a privilege to manage Rangers, and that will never change, Scott. So I haven't been back to Ibox, by the way, since that since that. And I, I want to go back to Ibox, obviously, but it's about doing the right time. But you know, we would never, just to be clear and answer your question, you would never resign from a club like Rangers. 
And then how would you look back at your time at Rangers and would you say it was the biggest club that you've managed? Yeah, simple. It's simple. Someone asked me the other day, you know, we went, someone went, where was I? Um, I was at a Premier League game, watching a game and someone mentioned that. And I said, listen, this is a great atmosphere. This is good. Go to wide box. Just go to wide box and realise the size of the club. I said, if, if Rangers played a game in Boston or Chicago or New York or LA or Melbourne or whatever, they'd fill it. Such is the reach of Rangers. And, and he, he looked at me and you could see he was really like doubting. I said, I'm telling you now, the, the, this Rangers were blowing these clubs out of the water. So it was the biggest club. It was the biggest um, privilege by a country mile. Um, and as I say, you would have walked to Glasgow in a heartbeat, Scott. So it was a really, it, it's just, you can you can hear, hear my voice, the frustration that it ended as it did. Because people like Davey and Frank and Jim Stewart and all these people, we were in the middle of a job and we wanted to see that job through. And then you returned to the championship two months after leaving Rangers, joining Nottingham Forest. And um, you were there for nine months. What was that like going from Rangers to another big club in Nottingham Forest? Difficult because um, they were at the bottom of the championship, and they they were going through an ownership. This is again Warburton's resigned from Rangers to go to Nottingham Forest. The owners was a Mister Fawaz, who was selling the club to, to the current owner, Mister Maranakis. I never met Mister Fawaz. I get a phone call 10 days after I left Rangers. I'm sitting at home and I'm doing some media stuff and I get a phone call from the agent saying, would Nottingham Forest would like to speak to you. And that was it. It's a big club. Twice Champions League or you know, European Cup. So I met Mr. Maranakis pardon me, for the first time and a 10, 15 minute meeting. He said, I'd like to offer you the job. The only goal is survival. At the bottom of the championship, the only goal is survival, which we did in the last day. You know, we, we, had to, we had to beat better Blackburn's result. We did that at home and kept the club up. And then again, you, you're constantly, I said to you about Viali's comment, you're constantly learning about football management, Scott, is that the KPIs for Nottingham Forest that year, and I bear in mind I go through a lot of managers, but the, the KPI was to reduce the size of the squad. It was 36 when we came in. To reduce the age of the squad, it was 29. And to finish mid-table and give them a, a, a foundation to build for the following year. On December the 31st, the average age of the squad was 22. There was 24 players in the squad and we were 12th out of 24. So you could not have put the KPIs more. And the chairman comes in and says that the owners want to make a change. And, and that's when you realise football's not like the city where you have clear KPIs and targets short, mid, longer term. It's not like that. It's driven by emotions and passions and we should be higher. Why should we be higher? We're not in Forest. Doesn't work that way. What about Blackburn? What about Ipswich? What about Sunderland? What about Wigan? What about Bolton? What about all these Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, all these clubs? So, as I say, you're constantly learning. So you, we we left there, and um, again, you just learn from the experience, Scott. You have to keep learning because that's football. Yeah, and you obviously after you left Nottingham Forest, you had a, a two year break. I'm sure from management. Do you feel as though that was what you needed at that time? No, not try. It was actually it was 14 months. Um, and I went around the States. Uh, I, I've always been keen on MLS. I'm really keen on the MLS now. I've, I've always been intrigued by the growth of the market. So I went, good friend of mine, Brad Frieda, was in charge at New England. So I went and spent some time with Brad. A really good friend of mine, Damien Roden, was at Seattle Sounders in the year they won it. So I went over to spend good time with Seattle in New York, into San Jose, uh, Vancouver, etc. So I spent a lot of time there. I went around Europe, the teams from Next Gen. Um, were good contacts, good friends still, spent a lot of time learning about European players, Scott. And then, as I say, it came along and you had one or two opportunities which were wrong. 
And then the QPR one came up and uh, spoke to Les, Les Ferdinand, and, and we went through everything and what it was. And it was a London club. And it was a challenge. They, were 20, they just finished 21st in the league. Smaller budget. And Steve McLaren had been the manager there. And uh, they wanted a change. And, and it just felt like it just felt like a really good opportunity. And how would you look back at your time in QPR? Because obviously there's QPR have always had for the last few years some financial difficulties. What was that like to work under? Difficult first year. I mean, Lee Hu's outstanding, the CEO. We a lot of respect for Lee, who's still there. Uh, he's acting chairman now as well. Um, but we we let five players go because we had to cut costs in that first year. We had to start young and, and go through it. But they finished 21st. I think the first year we finished 12th or 13th. It was a nice, solid mid-table, you know, turnaround. And we were pleased with that. And then we're in a good place, Scott. And then the, the year two, we started off playing really good football, a bit like you mentioned about Rangers. We could not put the ball in the back of the net. I remember one game, we played Bristol City at home, Scott. Uh, it was something like 73% possession, 27 shots to two, and we lost 2-1. It was one of those bizarre. But I had to face the fact at the end of, like coming towards Christmas, November, December time, we were struggling because we just could not score. And I'll probably a game away from getting a sack, I'd imagine, because teams are saying, well, we, you know, you're sitting there, you're, you're 17th, 18th in the table, which they had been there anyway, but you know they wanted improvement. And then we went on a run. Then we started scoring. And in 2021, I think I'm right in saying, Scott, from, from January the 1st, 2021 to December 31st, only Man City in the country got more points than QPR. So we went from 19th to 8th in the championship and then the following start of the following season, the third year, we were top six all the way through. So only, it was only Man City accumulated more points. We had a great run to be really, you know, the likes of Ilias Chair. We sold Ebrich Yeze. What a player he is, by the way. Um, Ilias Chair, Chrissy Willett, Rob Dickey, these type of players coming in, Senny Diang. We had a really good young team and we were we were good. But again, the expectation goes up. And then and then it's, well, we should be in the top six. Well, actually, your budget is still outside in the bottom half of the table. Uh, we were top six right the way through. We had a horrendous injury crisis. This is not a manager's groans, Scott. We had uh, five goalkeepers out. David Marshall, the Hibs, the Hibs, but lovely guy. He got injured as well. Senny was out for three months. Another one had a hand injury. Another one ruptured his hamstring. Another one pulled a quad. We literally were down to, we had to go and get a guy called Kieran Westwood, very experienced goalkeeper, who was on the point of retirement. But he was our sixth choice goalkeeper. Long story short, we finished up, say, 10th. And then you you get, you know, contracts not going to be extended. So you're not sacked, but your contract's not being extended. And that's when you realise, again, football, you, you keep learning, Scott, because we're above our budget. We've had a massive injury crisis. The squad is good. We're ready to go for year four. And you don't, you move on from there. So that happened. And and I thought to myself then, I even joined a golf club, Scott. I'm thinking, right, I better join a golf club and get a bit of golf in. And literally the following day, um, I was. We went on holiday to, to Florida, and David Moyes and I have always gone to the same place. Their families, truly by chance. And David asked me if I'd like to go in and work with his number two at West Ham. So that's how that came about. And then, what was it like, obviously being part of the coaching staff at West Ham and winning the Conference League? Because obviously, watching that game and seeing the scenes with the West Ham fans, it looked absolutely incredible. And obviously, I was quite jealous because the year before, uh, Rangers were in Seville. Yeah. And- yeah, it was, yeah, I was, I was, it was great to see, but I was jealous at the same time. <laughs> ah, you're right, and because it, it is. Great experience. Um, what was great for me was I had a chance to go and manage again the championship, but I, I, I thought, how am I going to see what the Premier League is really all about? You know, you, let's be honest, get, you, you're not going to get a Premier League job at the moment. They go, they do what they do. So therefore you say, right, I, I wanted to see what world-class, I keep hearing, oh, he's a world-class player, he's a world-class player. They're not. 
They're really good, but they're not world-class. And then you see people like Declan Rice. And you see people like Lucas Paketar, Paketa, and Naya Fagard, and Kurt Zuma. And then you read Jared Bowen. And you realise these are world-class players. These are world-class players. And it was a pleasure to work with, you know, quality of players like that. Obviously, the idea was to go in. David's more defence-minded. I'm more offence-minded. That was the idea. But in truth, it didn't work out from the coaching side because, you know, David, quite understandably, we had a tough start, lost a, lost a load of players to injury, centre-halves. We had a tough start and you, you naturally go revert back to what you do best. So, you know, didn't get the coaching side of it as we wanted to do, but it was a great experience. Worked with some great players, got to know them really well and enjoyed the whole experience, Scott. So what's next for yourself, Mark? Are you looking to get back into management and would you be willing to take a similar role like you did at West Ham? I'll be honest, yes, I'm absolutely, I'm I'm the world's worst. I'm I'm driving people mad. I need to I need to work, not through money. I'm very lucky not to have to, I haven't got to work to put meat on the table on a Sunday, put it that way. But at the same time, Scott, I want to work. And I'm not one that, I've, since I left school, I've always worked uh, long hours and enjoyed the responsibility. So I'm a, I'm a right pain in the royal butt at the moment. If, you know, that's how I am. So I've got the fittest dog in Hertfordshire. I'm taking him out for a walk so many times, Scott. But I think, no, I want to work. Um, I've got to face the fact that going younger, look at this week, you know, Joe Edwards has got the Millwall job. Good luck to Joe, 37. You've got Liam's taking over at Bristol City, another young coach. You've got, they're going down that young route. So I've got to look and I'm I'm going to go to the MLS. I'm really, really keen on the MLS. And it's it's difficult. You know, you have good CVs over here with promotions and playoffs and cup finals. And yet you can go to the MLS, uh, Scott, and they don't know you. They don't, you know, and what do you, what do, you do? And this type of thing. And it, it's a different market completely. So you've got to convince owners there who might own a basketball franchise and NFL franchise, and you've got to try and work your way in there. So I'm keen to do that, Scott. Want to work, and um, I hope very much the opportunity comes along. And then just to finish off, Mark, I'll need to ask you this: Who would you say is the toughest manager you've ever came up against? The toughest manager. Ooh. Wow, that's a big question. That's a difficult one, Scott, that because there's so many you've you you've you've got enormous respect for. You know, people like I mentioned Mick McCarthy earlier and Tony Mowbray and and these type of managers who you've got enormous respect for. You know, Antonio Conti, you when you put come against Conti in, in the Carabao Cup, and of course Brendan, and of course you look you look at the various managers, you know. But I just think I've been we played Rafa, uh, we played Newcastle St. James's Park, and we won the game after extra time. But you look at Rafa and how he works and how he operates. You know, Brendan obviously with his with his background. But I've, I've been—I think it's fair to say I've been very privileged to to share the touchline with some really good managers. And and everyone you 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 enjoy the occasion. Simple as that, Scott. Yeah, I, I'd had uh, a new Lennon on the podcast last week and asked him the same question, and he said Conte was the toughest he came up against. Yeah, it was Just interesting. I like what I liked about Antonio. We played them at Stamford Bridge. Funny, I don't got time for a funny story, but. We were we had played on the Saturday a big derby at Forest, and they'd had a big game. I think they'd Arsenal or something. Then we had the Carabao Cup coming up on the on the Wednesday at Stamford Bridge, and then he had I think they had like United or City on the weekend, and we had Derby, which is a huge game for Forest Derby. So I'm thinking he's going to go light. He's going to everyone's telling me he's going to go weak. You know, as weak as Chelsea can be. So I thought, great, I've got a chance to rest a couple here. I can rest. I can, you know, I can rest a Somber longer, I can rest so-and-so, I can rest Matt Mills or Jack Hobbs. And, and then we turn up and I get the team sheet and it's as strong as they could possibly be. You know, uh, the first name I see is Hazard, William. And I, oh my God. But that was that. was that. But he said to me, he doesn't do a drink after the game, but he does a cup of coffee before the game. So when the players are warming up 
And it was great for 40, 45 minutes just having that chat and picking brains and sharing ideas. And it was really good. So I, I like the way he came across. I love the intensity of his teams. Obviously, at the time, they were playing at 3-4-3, if you remember, Scott, and they were they were flying at the time. But that was a really good occasion. We got beat 5-2. We were, you know, we were hanging on for the last bit. But it was a real privilege, and, and I learned a lot from them, from him on that occasion. And uh, just to finish off, Mark, ask everyone this question when they come on the podcast. Who would you say is better, Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Sorry for delay. <laughs> I don't delay there at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, Messi, Scott. But uh, no, listen, two two outstanding, famous players. But I just, I just, I was very lucky in that next gen. We went to Barcelona a lot, and I saw the youth teams, Oscar Garcia and a guy called Peragratikos. I mean, we could watch the first team train. And when you realise just how good that man is, and look at the impact he's had it into Miami. Quite incredible. So just an absolute privilege to have seen him play live, to watch him train. And I just think he's the one, the, the greatest the world's ever seen. And in fact, actually, I forgot to ask you this one. Um, Saudi Arabia, would you ever consider going over there to manage? I had an opportunity um, maybe three months, four months ago to go over there. Um, and it was a quick decision. And it was to go as a number two. Um, and I gave it long and hard, but it just wasn't right, Scott, for a number of reasons. And this sounds greedy, but it just wasn't right financially for a few things. And it, it, as I say, I had the opportunity, but I don't think don't think for one second that Saturday's going to go away. This is not a you know a, a quick come along and spend some money and disappear. I think Saudi are going to be here for the long haul, and I think that market's going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think so too, yeah, because it's not going to be like with China, where that only just lasted a wee while. Like the Saudis have got, they want to dominate sport. <laughs> no, much. and they're doing it right. You know, you look at the impact they're having. So I think that's a market that's going to grow. It's going to have issues, but there's no doubt it'll it'll be, you know, front and back for a long while to come. So keep your eyes on that market for sure. 100%. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. No, Scott, really enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation and look forward to chatting to you soon. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you want to listen to more episodes of Scott Score, they're available on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Until next time, take care and we'll see you soon.